The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. In the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we read about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we ask the question, He is risen, now what? Now what? What, what is it that we need to be doing as a result of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This morning we talked about the fact that we ought to believe. We ought to believe. It's, it matters. Believing in Him matters. I know believing does not get us to heaven. Believe, you know, the world would tell you that believing in Christ is the operative fact, the operative thing that we do that gets us to heaven. And if you don't believe in Christ, you will go to hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. Praise God, it's not what the Bible teaches. Making decisions is work. In fact, I've heard Brother Neil preach on this before, uh, and uh, he mentioned the fact that in, in the, in the decision-making process, the neurons and axons of our brain expend energy. And, and in, in, in the expenditure of energy is one definition of work. <laughs> that's, that's what work is. It's the expenditure of energy. So even the choices you make are a work. And we know that we're not saved by works. So believing is a work, and it is not something that's required to get us to heaven. But just because we believe that believing in him is not what gets us to heaven, that doesn't mean that belief is not important. We saw that this morning. We ought to believe. It's, it matters that we believe, and it matters what we believe. We ought to believe the truth. We ought to, we ought to be believing the true gospel of the grace of God. In the first chapter of Galatians, Paul talks about another gospel that's not a gospel. You know why it's not a gospel? Because gospel means good news. And it's not good news to somebody to tell them you have to do something in order to obtain your eternal redemption. Because you see, if it's on me to do that, I can't do it. But you, it matters that we believe, and it matters what we believe. We talked about that this morning. That's what Jesus said. He said uh, in verse 14 of Matthew, uh, Mark 16, that when he appeared to the eleven, he upbraided them with their unbelief. He said, you shouldn't be unbelievers. And I say to you tonight, we shouldn't be unbelievers. We ought to trust in him. We ought to believe in him. And that doesn't mean, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I believe him. Oh, yes, I believe he died for me. That means tomorrow morning when, you're, uh, uh, when you hit the sidewalks, tomorrow morning when you're driving down the interstate, you need to believe in him. You need to trust in him. When you come up against problems at work, you need to trust in him. When the circumstances seem to dictate that you act in a way that the world would prescribe, you need to go against that and believe and trust in Christ and do what the Bible says, do what he says to do. We ought to believe. But also, we ought to work. You see, just because we don't believe in salvation, eternal salvation by works, doesn't mean that we don't believe in works. We believe in working in the kingdom of God. And that's what I want to focus on tonight. Going back to Matthew 16, verse 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. <laughs> now notice what he says. Go. Go. I don't know about you. I don't like to go. I like to sit down. I like to, I like to vegetate in my recliner. That's my favorite place to be. I have a favorite recliner. I'd rather be in my recliner from a worldly standpoint. 
But you know what God said? Jesus didn't say, well, go sit down, I'll take care of it all. He said, go, <laughs> go ye. Where do you go? Into all the world. Yeah, I know that uh, sometimes we as primitive Baptists get accused of not having any vision for mission work. And I don't particularly like to call it mission work because people misunderstand in the world, they misunderstand what that means. They think we're talking about something that's organized by a board somewhere and, and, and men hired and sent out and sometimes women hired and sent out uh, where people pool their money. That's not what we're talking about at all. Uh, but what I, what I do believe in as a primitive Baptist is going and preaching. So he says, he says, we ought to work, we ought to go and preach. Where should we go? Into all the world. I'm so thankful for, we, for some of our preachers in our, among our people that have gone to places like Africa and India and the Philippines and places like that to preach the gospel. You know, I'll tell you, if the Lord puts a burden on a man to do that, he ought to do it. I heard a story told one time by a preacher that uh, said that, a, that, a, that a, preacher, a preacher of another order came by his office one time and said he was raising money. He was trying to get to Africa. The Lord had told him two years ago that he, ought to, that he wanted him to go to Africa and preach, and he's been trying his best to raise the money to get there ever since. And and this particular preacher said, I told the man, please don't tell that tale on God. <laughs> if God wants you to go to Africa, you need to pack your bag and go down to the dock and be waiting for the next ship. The Lord will provide a way. <laughs> if, if the Lord wants you to go to Africa, go buy the ticket. Go to get on the plane and get over there. You see, God provides a way. You don't, there's, no, there's not a process that you have to go through. There's not training you have to go, go take. There's nothing you have to do to prepare for that. If God puts a burden on a a man of God to go to Africa or to go to India or to go to China or anywhere he ought to go that's the way we believe it you don't need a board you don't need some group of preachers directing you where to go you just follow the leading of the Lord go into all the world I'm so thankful we've got men brother Neil has gone to Africa I'm so thankful for that I've not had the burden to go but if the Lord put it on me I will go I've I wouldn't mind going, okay? But now let me tell you something else about going into all the world. All the world includes Africa and Europe and Australia. And if the Lord puts a burden on you to go, you ought to go. But remember this, all the world also includes next door. It also includes next door. It also, in, all the world includes at the Alabama versus Auburn ball game, the Iron Bowl. All the world includes the bowling alley. <laughs> All the world includes the fishing tournament. All the world includes your workplace. All the world includes everywhere you go, you see. And, and when he says go, I, I get it, I understand. I'm the, I tend to have my vision out there. I love these, I love these long trips. I love going, you know, pl making big plans. We all get excited about things like that, don't we? I mean, oh, wow, I'm going on a big But listen, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I t I'm so thankful, as I said, Brother Neil and Brother Tim and others have gone to Africa, to Ghana, to places like that. We've got, we've got a great group of folks in, in Tanzania and Kenya that are spreading the good news of the gospel of the grace of God over there. 
But sometimes we let our vision get out there and we forget about right here. See, right here. Did you know all the world includes your family? It includes your family. You know, I'm convicted on that one sometimes. You know, I, I think about often that I take for granted my own family. Even those that are in the church. And it's like, well, they're okay. I need to be, I need to be evangelizing out there. I need some, you know, mamas and daddies, you young folks that are going to be mamas and daddies one day, remember that your primary field of mission work, if you want to call it that, is within your family, your children. You need to evangelize your children. There was a time, Brother Buddy can speak to this more than I can even, but it, it, it occurred also among our independent Baptist churches that we were part of. There was a time that the idea was you didn't need to try to influence your children. You know, oh, I don't, I don't want to try to influence my children now. I, I just leave that in the Lord's hands. Well, you know what happened to those children that the parents didn't try to influence? They ended up out there in the denominational world. They ended up off there doing something else. Brother Sonny Pyle said one time uh, in response to that, he said, so you don't feel like you ought to influence your children? He said, I'm trying to brainwash mine. (laughs) So, you know, we need to be raising our children. He says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You see, all the world includes all the places that we go. And something also that I... I think we don't need to forget, especially in the world in which we live. In Matthew chapter 28, we read some of this this morning. The very end of the gospel according to Matthew, Jesus said in verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The the term there, nations, is the Greek word ethnos, ethnos. And it literally means a a people group, a group of people of similar characteristics, a a, a tribe, if you will. And it's often translated as Gentiles in the the New Testament. And, And this tells us something so important. No ethnicity is exempted from our commission. You know, one of the problems I've got with the, with, the, with the issues of race that are out there today is that none of, these, none of these racial issues are being approached from a biblical standpoint. And I want to say to you emphatically as I can, and as strongly as I can muster the strength within me to say it, that there will never be racial reconciliation apart from the Word of God. Apart from the Spirit of God, there can be no racial reconciliation. Those who are trying to reconcile the races and, call, and, and, and eliminate racism and all these problems out there that are trying to approach it from a secular standpoint will not succeed. Beloved, the greatest racial reconciliation you will ever find is found in the Word of God. Listen to, listen to Acts, the 17th chapter, beginning in verse 24. God, this is Paul preaching on Mars Hill. One of the most diverse places he could go in the ancient world. And he saw all kinds of gods. He saw all kinds of idols set up to all kinds of gods. And he tells them in verse 23, he said, I even found one called the unknown God. And he said, now the one you're ignorantly worshiping, I'm going to tell you who he is. 
God, verse 24, that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And now listen to this, verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. <laughs> Notice what he said. You say, well, you know, the problem with men, the problem with mankind, is we're always looking for the differences. We're always, well, they're different from me, and he's, she's different from me, he's different from me. Now, I realize there's some ungodly activities. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about uh, people that are committing ungodly acts. I'm not talking about people that are uh, doing ungodly things and saying, well, I shouldn't make a difference. So you ought to make a difference about that. Yeah. You, ought to make a di you ought to keep those people out of your life. And you ought to, if you have opportunity, you ought to try to convince them to change their ways. But I'm talking about inherent qualities, uh, 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 racial or otherwise, ethnicities that, that have nothing to do with, ac with actions. You want to know the difference? between the black man and the white man and any other race out there, there isn't one. There isn't one. Because he's made of one blood, all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth. You can't say, well, that area over there is filled with people that are just different from me. They may have been raised different. They may be acting different in some ways. But let me tell you, beloved, at heart, they're just like you. They're just like me. And you want to know something else? <laughs> You're not better than them. This ought to put to rest any, any kind of uh, white supremacy that's out there because we're all considered sinners. And in Romans, the fifth chapter, you want to know how good we all are? You want to know who's superior to anybody else? Okay, let's talk about that. Man, uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Whereas by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, because some of them have sinned. No, for that all have sinned. <laughs> you know, we are, we are sinners by nature. Did you know that? We're born sinners. I don't care if you're black or white or any other color. <laughs> I don't care what your ethnicity is. We are sinners. We're all the same. We're level before the cross. But guess what else? By nature, we're sinners. But by practice, we're also sinners. Isn't that something? How many? I, I'm, I would ask for a show of hands, but I'm afraid one of you might raise your hand just to throw me off. How many of you have not sinned today? I mean, don't raise your hand. I'd hate to have to deal with you in church conference at some point for lying in church, but I can't raise my hand to that. I'm a sinner every day, every day. You know, sometimes we think that our, for somehow, some reason, that we ourselves are better than someone else. Let me tell you, we're not. We're not. We're all, all are level at the foot of the cross. We're all condemned. You know, that's what he says in it in, in, in Romans. He says they've all gone out of the way. They're all together become an unclean thing. So there's no ethnicity. 
There's no geographic division. There's no uh, people, tongue, tribe, or nation where we should not be preaching the gospel. And going back to our original thought about how that it's everywhere, including right here, just remember this, beloved. We don't have a church life and a private life and a work life and a social life, okay? We're not Facebook. You can make up as many, what do they call them there, as many profiles as you can make up. You can call yourself this here. You can look like that over there. You know, I could make myself look like this under this profile and like that on this profile. Beloved, we don't have that. Wherever we go, wherever we go, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Look with me over to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So realize we're talking about children of God here. Born again children of God, right? And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Keep that word in mind. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ that's dead, be ye reconciled to God. Now, there's a lot of preaching right there that I don't have time to do, but I want you to notice one thing. He tells us in verse 18 that God hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Then he tells us in verse 20, be ye reconciled to God. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought you said God has reconciled us. I did. Notice the difference in the subject of the, uh, of, of the sentence. The subject of the sentence in verse 18 is God. God has reconciled us. The verb is reconciled. God reconciled us. We're the direct object. We're the object upon which the reconciliation has been made. Okay, God reconciled us. But notice in verse 20, we are the subject. So, so from God's perspective, from God's standpoint, he has already reconciled us. From our perspective, notice we are already reconciled. In an eternal sense, we are secure in Christ, but we ought to be reconciled to him. Now, what that means is not that, well, we've got to do something in order for the reconciliation to be effective for us. No, he's already reconciled us. In fact, he says he was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He had actually reconciled the world of his people all to himself. Every single one of the elect children of God were graven in his hands as he hung there on the cross and he reconciled us to God. And when he says, you be reconciled to God, what he's saying is, listen, God is already satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. Now you need to be satisfied with what God satisfied right. with. Right. See what I'm saying? See, it's not, it doesn't change anything eternally. It's like I said this morning, we, you know, when the, when, the, when the governor signs a pardon 
for the man on death row. He's pardoned. But if nobody ever tells him, he's going to live the rest of his life condemned, feeling condemned in his mind. He's free. He'll never be executed. Somebody needs to tell him. And he needs to believe it when they tell him. You see, that's the same thing here. God has reconciled us. Do you know how many of God's children who have already been reconciled are struggling in their lives thinking they've got to do something to get God to reconcile them? No, he says, don't do that. You be reconciled by the same thing God is reconciled with. Be satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. Okay, that wasn't what I was wanting to preach about. <laughs> what I want to get to is this. Based upon that, based upon that, he says, now, in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Notice the way that he gets us to be reconciled to him in the sense of in our minds and in our hearts here in the timely sense, the way that he does that is through the preaching of the gospel. The way it works is, is I go out and get someone else to join up with me in the thing that I'm involved in. Did you know that's our jobs as, as God's children? Now, we, it's not our job. To, you know, some, some people are trying to, they're trying to assume more to themselves than God ever put on them. Some people are trying to make goats into sheep. It's not our job to make goats into sheep. <laughs> In fact, a goat will never be a sheep. What our job is, though, is to minister to the sheep that are out there that don't know their sheep, maybe. Or they don't understand what it means to be a sheep. Maybe they know they have a relationship with God, but they don't know how that came about. Maybe they know that uh, there's some things they ought to be doing, but they get them all mixed up. It's our job as ambassadors for Christ to preach to them the word of reconciliation, telling them that God has already reconciled us through the death of His Son. Now, we need to be satisfied with that. And if you will be satisfied with that, you'll live a more satisfied life. Right. Isn't that the case? I mean, there, I've never, never was satisfied with the other message. Never was satisfied with the idea that I had to do something in order to get to heaven. But I'm completely satisfied with what Christ did on the cross. <laughs> you know what else? God is completely satisfied with it too. Oh, in that... So, so here's, the, here's the point. We don't have a church life and then a private life. Everywhere we go, we are ambassadors. What's an ambassador? He's somebody who represents somebody else. When I was running for office in 2018, I had a lot of people, and I appreciated them representing me, going places, representing me, speaking on my behalf. But one thing I learned <laughs> in running for office, especially on a statewide basis, is that sometimes you get the wrong person representing you. <laughs> I, had a, I had a lawyer up in Fayette who's a friend of mine. He was saying this in a kidding way, but there's some truth to it. He said, listen... I hear you running, he said, and I'll be for you or against you, whichever one will help you the most. <laughs> Sometimes you get the wrong people for you, right? Sometimes the people that represent you don't represent you very well. Ask yourselves, as I try to ask myself, am I being the right kind of ambassador, the right kind of representative for Christ? See, that's part of what we are supposed to be doing. He's risen, now what do we do? We go out and represent him to the world. 
And we do that everywhere we go, whether we are intending to or not. You know, I hate to say it, and I, I've been very, tried to be very careful about this, uh, and I have noticed in times past that maybe I shouldn't have done some things that I did, but, uh, but you know, you even represent him on Facebook. You, re you represent him on Instagram. You represent him on Snapchat or whatever other social media platform there is out there. Do you know that when you, as a member of one of his churches, whether it's Zion Church or Bethlehem or some other church five mile, when you put something out there in the public eye, you are representing the church of the living God. And more importantly, you're representing the king because you're an ambassador wherever you go. So, boy, doesn't that... Doesn't that change the way we ought to be looking at things in our lives? I say, boy, that's, that's more than, I tell you, why, why is it that way, preacher? What, I mean, I, I'm a free American. You know, we're, we're rugged individualists in, in America, aren't we? We're, you know, that's, that's what America's all about. Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, uh, and uh, I just ought to be able to, you need to leave me alone, let me do what I want to do. Now, why should, I, uh, why should I not just be a free American individualistic and not worry about what anybody else thinks? Well, I'll tell you why. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, after telling us to flee fornication, he goes on to explain why. It wasn't just fornication, by the way. He's talking about a whole bunch of things that we ought to stay away from. We ought to stay away from uh, being fornicators, idolaters, effeminate, abusers of ourselves and mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, and so forth. And then in verse 19, he explains why. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Wait a minute, time out. You mean the Holy Ghost is living in me, preacher? Yes, he's dwelling in you. There's something in you that's not at home in this world. There's something in you that's not at home in this body. The Holy Ghost is taking up his abode in your life, in your body. He is with you every day. He's with you when you do right, but he's also with you when you do wrong. Oh, how much that scares me sometimes. He said there, in one place, there's not a word on my lips. But, O oh Lord, thou knowest it. You know, that means even the word I didn't say. <laughs> I'm worried enough about the words I did say, brother buddy, but the words I didn't say, he even knows about. He says, Know ye not that the body, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God. Now listen to this. This is the key to the whole kingdom of God. And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. See, that's why you can't just do what you want to do every time you want to do it. I know we, I know we mess up and do it. I'm not, listen, I'm not preaching some kind of perfection in living. We ought to. We ought to be perfect in our living. But you know, and I know we're not going to be able to make that. But we ought to strive for it. And we ought to be, we ought to be ashamed when we don't make it. For you are bought with a price. And oh, what a price it is. What's the price, you say? It's the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A, a lamb, spotless, a lamb that was stood slain from the foundation of the world. First Peter chapter 1 puts it this way. 
Verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. See, the blood, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't a bad set of circumstances it was a purpose from the foundation of the world God purposed that he came Jesus was born into this world with his eyes wide open he knew exactly why he was here every step he took throughout his entire life was a step toward Calvary Elder David Crawford preached that wonderful message at our annual meeting about him being 12 years old in the temple there away from his parents and when they found him even then at 12 years old the burden of what he was going to be doing was on his shoulders he said don't you know I have to be about my father's business he came here. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and yet they slew him. But praise God, he was resurrected. Now what? We're not our own. We're bought with a price. We need to live and act like it. We ought to obey wherever we are. And by the way, going back to Mark, the 16th chapter, you know what the, one of the first acts of obedience is or ought to be in our lives. In Mark 16 and 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. <laughs> the first act of outward obedience is baptism. We ought to take up our place in the kingdom of God. The word damned there means uh, to be given judgment against or, or to be condemned, okay? It doesn't say, by the way, damned to hell, does it? It doesn't say condemned to the fires of hell. But there is a condemnation that you will experience here, here and now, if you don't join one of his churches or stay faithful to one of his churches. There's a condemnation you will never get over. We're told that baptism is the answer of a clean conscience, a pure conscience. In other words, you now have been born of the Spirit. You've been converted in the sense that you now understand what has happened to you. You understand what Jesus has done for you. And, and baptism is the perfect and right response to that knowledge. You say, hey, I know what Jesus did for me. What do I need to do? You know, that's what they asked over in the book of Acts, isn't it? <laughs> the, second, the second chapter of Acts on the day of Pentecost, uh, after that <clears throat> Peter had preached to them that powerful message about Jesus Christ and what he had done and, uh, and the resurrection of Christ. And then, then it says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. That's the new birth right there. Or at least they had already been born again because you can't prick something in the heart that doesn't have a heart. Not in a spiritual sense. But they were pricked in their heart. And what did they say? They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's what we're talking about tonight, isn't it? He's been resurrected. Jesus is risen. What do we do now? Well, here's what you do now. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. <laughs> repent and be baptized. You ought to be a member of one of God's churches. And you ought to be thankful for it. In Matthew 28 again, he said, Go ye therefore, verse 19, and teach all nations, baptizing them 
And I like this phrase, in the name of the Father. You know, sometimes we do it. We, sometimes we get this messed up. Sometimes we say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, I suppose if you really understand what you're saying, that's okay. But that's not what the Scripture says. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You know why he says it that way? He's emphasizing the Trinity to us. He's emphasizing that God is, is one God who manifests himself in three persons and yet is still one God. 1 John 5, 7 talks about that. And that's one reason I don't like these modern translations because they leave that verse out. He said there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. <laughs> you know what that tells me? These three are one. <laughs> that's all. That tells me that there's one God in three persons. I don't, I can't explain, you know, what is the Trinity? How does it work? I can't explain all that. I can't, I just believe it because that's what the Bible teaches. It teaches us that they are not three separate gods. They are one God in three persons. And that's why we're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And notice then it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In other words, those who are baptized ought to continue to be taught and that they ought to, being taught, they ought to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded us. Which includes, by the way, more than just the Gospels. It includes the Old Testament. He says, search the Scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. Now, I'm not talking about the old law of service, but I'm talking about the moral aspects of the law and the lessons that were taught there, we ought to observe them today. They're written for our examples, we're told in 1 Corinthians 10. Also, the writings of Paul and the other apostles, all the way down through the book of Revelation, we ought to observe them. We ought to, we ought to be seeking to try to do them. The word observe there is a Greek word, uh, tereo, tereo. And it comes from a Greek word, that means a watch, and it literally means to guard from loss or injury by keeping an eye upon. And it's a little different from a couple of other words that are used and uh, uh, translated as observe. There's another word that's translated observe, which means to prevent from escaping. And there's another one which implies some big fortress or full military apparatus, okay? So here, though, what he's talking about is is guarding something by keeping your eye upon it. In, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, he said, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. In other words, if you don't keep your eye on it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to slide away. It's going to slip away. He said, you need to observe these things. How do we do that? Romans chapter 12 tells us one way in which we do it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, verse 1, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why is it reasonable service? Because Christ gave his whole body to ransom you from sin. You know, if, if I just, you know, if I gave you $10, uh, you might feel some obligation, but it wouldn't, wouldn't be reasonable for me 
to give you $10 and expect you to drive me to New York City, you know. Hey, I gave you $10. Well, that might get me to Gordo, and that'd be about it, you know. But if I gave you a million dollars and said, hey, would you drive me to New York City? That'd be more reasonable, wouldn't it? That'd be a little more reasonable. I said, here's, here's $2 million. I need to go to Los Angeles. Let's hop in the car and go right now. You say, hey, for all you've done for me, <clears throat> the least I can do is drive you across the country. Think about what Christ has done for us. Think about how much more valuable the precious blood of Christ was than any amount of money that the whole world could pile up. It's just reasonable for us to try to live in a way that pleases him. <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And how do we do this? He goes on to tell us, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know how easy it is to be conformed to the world. All you got to do is just stay out there in it. It doesn't take much time before you're looking like the world, you're acting like the world, you're living like the world, and they can't tell any difference in you and me. He says we have to be transformed because it's so easy to be conformed. How do we do that? By the renewing of our minds. How do you do that, preacher? Well, one way you're doing it is right here tonight. You're coming here to the kingdom of God. Now, I realize my efforts are feeble. I realize that there are many more able men than me out there. But at least I'm trying to, to preach to you the unsearchable riches of Christ. And, and I know you're being charitable to me so often and say, well, he may not have said it just right, but I know where he was headed with that. And I know I felt the Spirit here. You know, I feel the Spirit here sometimes. I feel the Spirit within me, but I, I feel the Spirit among us. And, and, and praise God for that. That's renewing my mind. I've got a long week ahead of me. I've got a lot going on this week. I need my mind to be renewed and recharged today so that I can go out in the world and maybe take some of these things with me. Another way that we renew our minds is by staying in the Word of God. Study His Word. I've been doing my best. I haven't been successful completely, but I've been doing my best this year to read through the Word of God in a year. And, and, and I've got a plan, you know, where I read a certain number of scriptures uh, every day or at least during the weekdays. And I've, so far, I'm, I'm almost caught up. <laughs> I like about four chapters in the book of Second Chronicles. But, I'm, but I, I've been keeping up. This week I got behind, but I've been keeping up. I don't, I, sometimes I don't read it every day that, on that plan. I, I stay in the, try to stay in the Scriptures every day. I've been trying to stay on that plan every day. I've skipped a few days this week, but I go back and catch them up, trying to do it. You know, I feel so much better, Brother Mackey, when I, when I stay in the Word of God. Because you don't ever know, by the way, when you're going to be assaulted by Satan. I experienced that this week. And I'll tell you, beloved, you better be read up and prayed up when the devil comes calling. We ought to be obeying wherever we are. And finally tonight, we ought to remember that it matters how we do these things it matters the spirit in which we approach our job 
in believing and working in the kingdom of God. You know, we can't do it within ourselves. In verses 17 and 18 of Mark 16, he says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And then we're told that the Lord spoke after he was taken back up into heaven. It said that they went forth, in verse 20, and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So wait a minute. (laughs) A lot of confusion over these verses. You mean to tell me that if we're really going to do the work of God, we're going to be able to heal people, cast out devils, speak in tongues, and all that. There's denominations out there that teach that. No, that's not what this is teaching. See, in this day, there were some special gifts that God gave to the apostles and to those that the apostles laid hands on that helped them in, in, in preaching this, this sort of a new doctrine, if you will, something that at least... It wasn't new if you understood the scriptures, but those Jews missed it. They missed it. This wasn't being taught. The the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, wasn't being taught before this time, at least not in the right way. And so it was a different doctrine. It was a different message. And so God, by his gracious, uh, loving kindness... Uh, gave them some special gifts that would help to get the attention of those that they were preaching to. So, so for instance, if a, a man from Spain came walking up to you and you were Greek and didn't know Spanish and he didn't know Greek, you'd have a problem communicating with him today, right? I'd have to go research and learn how to speak Spanish in order to be able to talk to him. But in that day, there were times when God blessed those apostles and their disciples to to open their mouths and start speaking in Spanish, a language they didn't know before that. And that Spanish, that man who was Spanish and from Spain could hear in his own language, in his own tongue. That's what tongues are. They're foreign languages. They're not... They're not some kind of babbling that nobody can understand. We're not talking about angelic languages. We're talking about languages here and now that other people can understand. That was a gift that he gave them. But you know, those gifts don't exist anymore. <clears throat> Today, we don't have those outward signs. What, what's your scripture, preacher? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In verse 8, after talking about charity or love, he makes this statement. Paul says, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Now, in those days, there were men who could predict the future. There were men who could, who could tell forth what was coming in the future, but primarily prophesying meant just speaking, preaching. He says, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. God was directly imparting knowledge to many of his disciples, many of his apostles in that day after he had ascended back to heaven in order to give them the inspiration to write the scriptures, for example. So Paul, when he preached, he preached under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We don't preach under the direct inspiration. We preach under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But God was giving them the word of knowledge that they could speak. He could, Paul could stand up and say, hey, I've got a new fact from God that I want to tell you. 
If I ever get up and say, I've got a new fact or a new doctrine from God that I want to tell you, please stop me. Because <laughs> I don't have anything new to preach to you now. In fact, I heard it said one time that if God spoke from heaven today, he'd just repeat something he's already said because he's given us all we need here in the Word of God. You see, the prophecies and the tongues and the knowledge will fail and vanish away. So what remains? Verse 13, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So it matters that we understand that we can't do all these things within ourselves. We need the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what he was teaching us here. He said, these signs shall follow. It's not that we'll have these signs. It's that we'll have the Holy Spirit with us. That's what he's teaching us here. He says that there's going to be more to it than just your oratory. There's going to be more to it than just the words that come out of your mouth. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you. In that day, he manifested by all these signs. Today, he gives us his word. And men preach from this word. And if they stay true to this word, the Spirit blesses that. And no man can preach, by the way, without the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the church is not just an organization. It's not just a business proposition. When we make decisions in our business meetings, when we do whatever we do as a church, when we built this building here, we made the decision to do it, but we did it after prayer. We did it under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We can't function without the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And we can't do it without charity. It matters not just that we remember that the Spirit has to be with us, but also that we can't do this without loving each other. John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so love ye one another. By this, not by your doctrine, not by your practice, although both of those need to be right, by the, by the love that you show to one another, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one to another. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the 32nd verse, after going through all the problems that we could have, and we do have as children of God, we have these issues. We have corrupt communications. We have anger, bitterness, clamor, evil speaking. We have these, but he says in verse 32 of Ephesians 4, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. See, we got to remember that when we believe in him and when we work in the kingdom, we got to do it by following the leadership of the Spirit and doing it in love for one another. And Peter ends his dictation, if, we, if indeed it's true that Peter was dictating this to Mark, by verses 19 and 20. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Specifically, you notice that he said the Lord was working with them. I trust the Lord is working with us here. I know that if there's any preaching done, he had to work with me because I'm not a preacher apart from him. I know if there's any good done through this church, he had to work with us. I know we didn't cause this revival to occur on our own. He had to work with us. God works with us today. 
The old ship of Zion set sail. It was established by Christ. And then he said, you wait here for the promise of the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came down. And the old ship of Zion, who was in a sense sitting in the harbor, began to set sail and is still sailing today. And Mark's gospel has given us the sweet bottom line story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's risen. Now what? Believe him. And preach the truth in Jesus' name. Pretty simple, but it's a hard proposition, and it's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.